Because no two investors are the same, one size doesn't fit all. There's more to it. At S&P Dow Jones Indices, we offer index strategies for all types of investments. Comprehensive ESG solutions, core retirement strategies, multi-asset diversification, and new ways of thinking about risk management and income. They're all in one place. Express your investment views and give yourself the freedom to go anywhere with S&P Dow Jones Indices. Search Indexology on the web or hashtag Indexology on Twitter and LinkedIn. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach you, put it in context. Call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Okay, what the heck happened today? It's like someone hacked the president's Twitter account to goose up the stock market with a positive tweet about China. Then stocks cratered when we got the real goods and turned out our relations with the Chinese remain rotten. But finally, we rebounded dramatically going into the close. And that's how the averages could roll over after an incredibly bullish opening, with the Dow up 368 points before nosediving into the red, then bouncing from those lows, then dipping again to close down 53 points. S&P declined 0.04%, but the Nasdaq actually advanced 0.16%. In today's treacherous tape, you got nothing but whiplash. And if you did it, let me tell you, you are not alone. So let me set the scene, because it's really important to think. This was an important day, I think. Now, this morning I got up at 3.30. And even though Europe was looking real good, our futures were down. Okay, they were down about here. They were down double digits. I expected to get back some of the gains from yesterday's bizarre intraday rally that took us from down 500 points on the Dow to up 34 points. Uh, over the next few hours, though, the futures then started rallying. Curiously, they rallied back to even and then surged higher around 7 a.m. Remember, this is all pre-market that I'm giving you here. Pre-market, as we began to hear encouraging buzz about low-level trade talks between our government and the People's Republic of China. We got reports that the Chinese might slash their tariffs on auto imports and that they were willing to ease up on forcing foreign co- uh, companies into onerous joint ventures with Chinese firms that often steal their intellectual property. Uh, for most morning nationals, frankly, that is the cost of doing business in China. Then, at 8.19, the president tweeted, very productive conversations going on with China. Watch for some important announcements. Holy cow, it doesn't get more bullish than that. We've been worried about some real bitterness here ever since we had the Canadian arrest of the CFO of, of Huawei, the giant Chinese telco company, on the very same day that President Trump was negotiating with the president of China in Argentina. So, of course, the market roars open at the market. So look at this trajectory, down and then up, Okay. Remember, there are only two issues that Wall Street seems to care about right now. What's the Federal Reserve going to do when it meets next week? And can we reach some kind of deal with China? Personally, I prefer a good deal with major changes in how China insists business be done. But most investors are so worried now about the impact of the tariffs, they didn't take a bad deal. The next thing you know, the president starts talking about this wall on the Mexican border, okay? 
uh, saying he'd be proud to shut the government, uh, government down if he doesn't get his way. Investors hate government shutdowns because they're bad for business. That caused us to pull back from the highs. Then, though, then at 11.35, the Washington Post publishes a piece headline, Trump administration condemned China over hacking and economic espionage, escalating tensions between superpowers. The article tells us that multiple government agencies are expected to condemn China, citing a documented campaign of economic espionage and the alleged violation of the landmark 2015 pact to refrain from hacking for commercial gain. And one of those agencies just happens to be the Justice Department, which plans to indict multiple hackers suspected of working for the Chinese intelligence service, state-sponsored cyber terrorism. In short, this is not the kind of story you expect to see if you're making good progress negotiating with China. It's the kind of story that torpedoes the negotiations. And when that happens, it will torpedo the market itself. Now, if you wanted to fool people into buying stocks this morning, it's hard to think of anything that would be more effective than the president's tweet about how great trade talks are going. So, uh, so much for productive conversations. The next announcements are most likely announcements about prosecutions. Now, this hacking news should come as no surprise to regular viewers of this show. We had FireEye, the cybersecurity firm, on the show for Veterans Day. They talked about a dramatic pickup in Chinese espionage, something that's been echoed on a bunch of security conference calls. This is how China's hitting us back in the trade war. Since they can't really punish us with tariffs, we don't export a a whole lot to the People's Republic. They don't want our stuff. Of course, this market has the memory of a mayfly. So after dropping roughly 500 points from the highs, the Dow started climbing again. But my prediction is that when these formal announcements come, and they'll probably come this week, we'll have another reversal of fortune. What are you supposed to do in this kind of environment where you can get picked off even by the president of the United States? Uh, a bullish tweet means nothing to him, followed up by a bearish Washington Post piece, followed by a rip-snoring rally next, not, next to nothing. All right, this is what you do. There is a solution. I think you need to go back to the broad themes that hold up through this madness because they involve secular growth stories that have very little to do with China. What do I mean by secular growth stories? Well, how about the cloud kings we keep featuring? Salesforce, Splunk, on last night, terrific. VMware, wow, are they doing well. Workday, these often pull back on days like today. If you want to play the Chinese hacking campaign, I think you think cybersecurity. Now, we've been buying Palo Alto Networks, P-A-N-W. That's the best of the breed in the space for my travel trust, which you can follow along by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club. There's others, too. I mentioned FireEye. It's a very good company. CyberArk. I like healthcare, particularly the managed care companies. I want you to think like United Health or Centene, which has a meeting at the end of the week. We talked about that in our game plan on Friday. I like pharma and medical devices, especially Merck and J&J. Now that the market's come down so much, I'm also looking for stocks with, with ridiculously high dividend yields and strong balance sheets. You might consider, just to give you the paradigm, AT&T, which sports a 6.7% yield here and has enough cash flow to even raise the dividend if they feel like it. The story of this market is that you need to buy stocks on the way down, using what I call wide scales. So if you wanted to buy, say, some Microsoft, which has a terrific cloud business, you wait for a swoon. And you put orders in for, let's say, well, you want to buy 100 shares, okay? 25 shares as it goes down from 108 to 106. Then you buy 25 at 104. And then you buy 50 at 100. That way you don't feel like a moron if you buy something and it keeps going lower. Nothing is more arrogant than buying all at once, something this market proves nearly every single day. If you do it my way, what's the worst-case scenario? The stock goes higher, and you've got a profitable position that's smaller than you might like. 
high quality problem. Notice what I'm trying to stay away from anything remotely connected to the Chinese economy, anything that could be boycotted by China in retaliation, or anything that's hostage to the business cycle like the industrials or the oils. They just aren't worth it right now unless they have accidentally high yields, as ATT does, and can afford to pay them. It's really important that they can pay them. But the stocks of many industrials still haven't come down enough to be, give you that accidental high yield status. I feel the same way about the banks. They're in the grips of an absolutely terrible bear market. Even after the close say they're selling. But the stocks still don't yield more than 4%. At least most of them don't. And that would give you a decent cushion. Without that cushion, they're too risky. Now, I know this market is nauseating. I know that it's out of sync with individual stocks. For instance, many of the ETFs that dominate the landscape contain a mixture of stocks that are vulnerable to China and stocks that aren't. Better to pick individual stocks and forego the group risk you're exposing yourself to with most of these ETFs. There's nothing wrong with owning an index fund if you don't have the time to research individual stocks. But beyond that, you'd be better off trying to pick individual winners in addition to indices. Here's the bottom line. Hey, we got to call a spade a spade. This market isn't just volatile. It's treacherous. Maybe we've seen a bottom yesterday that was some term, but I don't want the treachery, which is not going to go away, to get to you. Use it to your advantage by picking up high-quality secular growth stocks into weakness. And if that's too tough for you, there's nothing wrong with sitting on the sidelines waiting for a better time to get into an index fund. Sure, it's possible we saw the bottom of stocks yesterday. I want to reiterate that. But don't you want some dry powder for when the Justice Department springs the news on the Chinese? Corey in Wyoming, Corey. Hey, Jim, this is uh, Corey, a big booyah out of Casper, Wyoming. Oh, fantastic. Good to have you on the show. What's going on? Hey, so my question was on uh, Morgan Stanley. I've been uh, adding to my position for about four or five months. Um, And as it goes down, I I keep buying off the 52-week low. I don't know if I should just cut my losses. No, 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 no. You're you're buying buying a very good financial. Uh, James Gorman's doing a remarkable job, but it's in a bear market. So, you know, just understand that it's it's not going to go higher until we get some sort of washout where finally people stop selling the XLF and all these other ETFs that are bringing it down. But to sell Morgan Stanley here with that kind of value, I think will be a mistake. But you got to leave room. Maybe it goes to 35. That would be unbelievable given how well they're doing. All right, this market is treacherous. But I want you to try to take advantage of some treachery. I want you to steer clear of ETFs that include stocks remotely related to the Chinese economy. This is an individual stock picker's market. Don't take the group risk. Well, man, buddy, tonight, two huge deals have rocked the cannabis industry. I'm eyeing the pot topics and tell you if you should be considering a play in the space. Then you don't need me to tell you that this market's been tough of late. Tonight, I'm going off the charts to get some more context for these declines, see if they can give us insight into where the market's ultimately headed. And, hey, how one medical device company is working to combat the opioid crisis in this country. I'm talking to Massimo CEO. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour-long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day clearly and concisely in context and with perspective and tell people what's happening, what it all means. Get the truth, not the spin.
The News with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today. Is reefer madness making a comeback? No, I'm not talking about the legalization of hemp. Cannabis sativa with low concentrations of THC, which Congress snuck into the farm bill they just passed today. I'm referring to last week when Altria, the huge American tobacco companies, responsible, by the way, for the Marble Man, among many other branding atrocities, announced that it was getting into the ganja gate. Altria is investing $2.4 billion Canadian dollars in Kronos Group, symbol CRON, another one of those Canadian cannabis producers that's trying to profit from legalization in the Great White North. This was a very big deal, a positive one, and it makes sense that Kronos saw its stock spike 20% on the news. Matter of fact, when it was rumored the stock was at 10, I said, wow, this is probably going to happen. Boom, 13. But here's the big thing. The, can- the Canadian cannabis business already has a kingpin. Canopy Growth Corporation, CGC. It's the only one of these stocks I've been willing to endorse because Canopy was the first marijuana grower to get an American backer, Constellation Brands. The alcohol company you know is Corona and Modelo, along with a bunch of really good wines and liquors. Now, that Altria wants a piece of this business, you've got two players vying for supremacy here, Canopy versus Kronos. So which one's worth owning? Before we pit these two stocks against each other, remember the trajectory of this group. All year, the pot stocks were higher in anticipation of legalization in Canada. But pretty much the moment Canada repealed marijuana prohibition in October, the stocks peaked, and they've been crushed ever since. So some of this is because the broader stock market peaked, too. But I think a lot of it has to do with the sell-the-news dynamic. The cannabis cohort had gotten way, way too hot, to the point where the reality of legalization was bound to be disappointing. Now, though, the group may have come down to the point where the best player is worth picking at. All right, but let's compare the two. Who's the best? Canopy or Kronos? Before we get into the specifics, let me be clear that Altria is about to own 45% of Kronos, which is very bullish for Kronos. They have warrants to buy 10% more, which means there's nothing stopping them from taking a controlling interest in this company. The idea here is that Kronos can take Altria's money and use it to grab market share in the rapidly growing Canadian cannabis industry. They don't just want to grow the plant. They want to develop all kinds of derivatives from medicinal marijuana to cannabinoid-based skincare treatments. And and look, Altria is a great partner to have in this business. Think about it. They got a ton of experience selling everything from cigarettes to vape pens. Nobody knows how to market socially stigmatized, heavily regulated, morally dubious products like Altria. But even with Altria's involvement, can Kronos compare to Canopy Group? Honestly, it isn't really a fair comparison. Canopy is significantly larger than Kronos. We're talking about an $11.4 billion company versus a $2.3 billion company. Canopy's got scale, and scale matters in this business. Bear that in mind. How do Kronos and Canopy, the Canadian cheese and chong, basically stack up? Okay, we'll start with the recreational business. Canopy has 70,000 kilos worth of supply agreements across every Canadian province. Kronos has supply agreements with just four provinces. They haven't disclosed the volume. According to Canopy's CEO, Bruce Linton, the company has the most SKUs, the shopkeeping units, in 12 out of, of 13 Canadian markets. Kronos leads in one out of those 13. That's because Canopy sells many more types of products, flowers, oil, pre-rolls, soft gels, and vapes. Uh, Kronos only sells flowers, oil, and pre-rolls. Canopy has 4.3 million square feet licensed to grow ganja across Canada. Kronos uh, says it has access to 1.2 million square feet of capacity. How about the medicinal marijuana market? Canopy's a much, much larger uh, last quarter. They shipped nearly 2,200 kilos of medicinal product, or 23.3 million. Kronos shipped 514 kilos, made a lot less money on them, 3.8 million medicinal sales. More important, 
Canopy has a lot of a lot more intellectual property. This company is a, one of the reasons. Why do I like it so much? Okay, it's got 137 patents for all sorts of value-added products, beverages, edibles, med, uh, medical devices, and the agriculture side of the business, too. Kronos doesn't disclose the number of patents it has. We really don't know much about their intellectual property. What about their backers? All right, the key to the canopy thesis is they got Constellation brands behind them, STZ. And the only reason we're talking about Kronos is that Altria just got involved. Constellation is a powerhouse in the alcohol space. They know how to get people intoxicated, as I've witnessed up close and personal at Bar San Miguel, my small plate Mexican joint in Brooklyn, which sells a darn lot of Modelo and Corona. Basically, though, there are two consumer packaged goods plays that are trying to offset declines in the core business. Although, remember, in the case of Constellation, it's not really a decline, but it's possible rate of growth decline. However, the big difference, Constellation's got a long track record of acquiring small properties and then growing their brands effectively. On the other hand, Alstria has been scrambling a bit this year to diversify beyond cigarettes. They're reportedly in the talks with Juul. J-U-U-L, the top dog in the vape space, enemy of many parents in this country. And now we hear about this Kronos deal. To me, it seems like Constellation took its time, thoughtfully picked the best player to invest in, whereas Alch's move feels a little rushed, maybe even intemperate and impulsive. Now, the idea here is that Canopy and Kronos uh, will have the cash to expand dramatically. But Canopy still has the biggest bazooka in the space. They've gotten $5 billion Canadian dollars from Constellation Brands. That's, uh, they own 38% of the company. And if Constellation exercises additional warrants, Canopy will get another $4.5 billion. Kronos already has a lot less cash uh, than Canopy. 41.5 million loonies as of September. When Altria completes its investment, they'll have, get $2.4 billion, with another $1.4 billion if Altria uses its warrants to take a controlling interest in the company. Once again, the difference in scale is stark, isn't it? Canopy's just got a lot more cash than Kronos, and they've already got a head start, much bigger moat, as Kronos won't get its bits on that money until the deal closes next year. Which brings me to the next point. When I say Canopy has a head start, we're talking about a big lead over the competition. Constellation started funding these guys over a year ago, and they made a second much larger investment that closed last month. All that money from Constellation, Canopy already has it. Putting it to work, spending a lot of money after a bit as we speak. Kronos, though, doesn't get his payout from Altria until this transaction closes sometime in the first half of next year. So what does this matter? Because Canada just legalized marijuana, that's why. This is an incredibly important time for this industry. Every day that passes where Canopy has deep pockets and Kronos doesn't is a day where Canopy can win market share that they may be able to hold on to for years into the future. Yet when you look at the revenue forecast, the stock of Kronos is actually a little more expensive than Canopy on a price-to-sales basis, which I think is the best way to measure things. Using the 2020 estimates, Kronos sells at 11.6 times sales and Canopy at 11.4 times sales. Neither one is cheap. That's very expensive even for a tech company. But the best player shouldn't be selling at a significant discount to the other player. That makes no sense. I think that that is game, set, match. There's another way to look at it, too, though. Both Canopy and Kronos have outstanding warrants that have Constellation and Altria the ability to take a controlling interest in their business. For Canopy, the strike prices on those warrants are 14% higher than where the stock is currently trading. Kronos is 11%. Now, I think Constellation Altria will exercise those warrants once we get a more benign regulatory environment in this country. And based on that, Canopy is more upside. The bottom line, even with Altria investing in Kronos, I believe the Canopy growth remains the best way to play the Canadian cannabis market. Although you could just as easily buy shares in its backer, Constellation Brands which has a very good revenue stream and fast-growing beer. I think it's less risky. Now, I don't mind shares in Cro- buying Kronos. I don't. But Canopy is the better company, although I would love to have Kronos' management 
on this show to debate that issue. And of course, Altria is always welcome too. Oh, and look for more bar- marijuana buyers, especially liquor companies, because if they don't jump on the bandwagon, competition from legalized pot is just going to tear into their sales. Joyce from Washington. Joyce. Hi, Jim. Hi. I am calling about the Canadian stock Shopify and what their involvement in the cannabis might mean for the stock. Well, you know, I, I, in the end, I think it's really a cloud-based commerce platform that's very, very good. That's the way I look at the thing. Uh, it, it's going to trade on that. That's what matters. And it's just a very good company. I like it very, very much. I think it's really good. Well, here we go. Between Cronus and Canopy, I'm going with Canopy. Best way to play the Canadian cannabis market. Constellation Brands is a smart pickup, too. Less risky. I'm not going to stop you from buying Kronos. I mean, but I think it's just because it's a low-dollar stock. That's why people want to buy it. All right, much more man money ahead. What are the technical signaling when it comes to recent instability? I'm going off the charts to see if the whipsaw action could continue. And opioid abuse has become one of the most profound public health crises facing the U.S. today. I'm eyeing one company that's working to come back to crisis. And it's easy to see the glass as half empty. But I'm pointing out the bright spots in the tech sector. So stay with Kramer. You don't need me to tell you that this stock market has lately been pretty darn volatile, maybe treacherous, and often downright destructive to your wealth. But in a difficult moment like this, it pays to have some longer-term context, doesn't it? Sure, the past few months have been brutal. But let's not forget that we're coming out of one of the most incredible bull markets in history, a bull market that went into overdrive when Donald Trump won the presidency in November of 2016. For almost 10 years, the averages moved steadily higher. In March of 2009, the Dow Jones bottomed at 6,500. Now it's above 24,000. So tonight we're going off the charts with help of Rob Marino. He's a brilliant technician who happens to be my colleague at RealMoney.com, paid site of the street, as well as being the publisher of RightViewTrading.com. In order to give you some more context for these recent declines, because that can give us some insight into where he might, we might be headed. And I, I got to tell you, Rob's pretty bullish here. In Marino's view, we're dealing with a consolidation period. Maybe we've even put it in a bottom where the market's trying to digest its enormous gains from the phenomenal multi-year rally. Now, normally, consolidation periods tend to be sedate, fairly limited. You slowly churn sideways, flop it and chop it, I like to say, before either, uh, before either resuming the previous move or going in the opposite direction. But there are other kinds of consolidation, more volatile moves that can whipsaw the averages. Didn't that happen today? And cost you a lot of money. Marino thinks that we're having one of those. And the best way to navigate your way through it is by taking a wider view of the landscape. Because that's the only way you can get enough sense of perspective that you won't panic. Let's start by taking a look at the monthly chart of the NASDAQ composite going back to 2009. Hey, hey, not bad, huh? Which is when the multi-year bull market was born. While there were some pullbacks on the way up, in general, the rally in the NASDAQ was strong and steady. During this whole period, the tech-heavy index traded in a fairly narrow range as it traveled from the lower left-hand corner of the chart to the upper right-hand, exactly the kind of action we want to see. Then we get this October and things change. The Fed got too aggressive with its plans to tighten. The White House started talking about the trade war with China, like it's the Cold War with the Soviet Union, something I actually kind of agree with, and Wall Street freaked out. From its highs in October to its lows in November, the Nasdaq plunged 16%. That was a horrifying experience, and regular viewers know that we've been a lot more negative. But Reno has a different view. Sure, the decline's been brutal, but he says we've been through previous consolidation periods that were even more volatile, and they didn't derail the bull. 
You can see it when you look at the same chart of the NASDAQ, but rendered in logarithmic scale. Don't you like this? Uh, on a normal linear chart, the spacing on the y-axis is done based on points. But a logarithmic, well, it's all about percentages. When you go from 50 to 100, that's 100% relative. On this scale, that would look the same as a move from 100 to 200, even though you're up twice as many points, because it's another 100% game. When you're comparing the action across long periods of time, a logarithmic scale can be very helpful. Marino points out that in 2010, 2011, 2015, there were periods of consolidation that in even wider ranges than the one we're experiencing now from 19% to nearly 25% from peak to trough. Even though the Nasdaq's lost a lot of points here, on a percentage basis, the 16% decline is smaller than 2010, 2011, or 2015. And each of those times, the market ultimately rebounded phenomenally. It's really something good, isn't it? This made me think. It made me think that it don't want to be too bearish. In short, Marino thinks that the situation might not be as bad as it seems. Now, let's zoom in. Uh, just a bit to the weekly charts of the major averages to identify important levels of support and resistance. On the weekly chart of the S&P 500, which is our top one, okay, Marino um, notes that we have a ceiling of resistance at 2,800 and a floor support running in a zone from 2,550 to, two, to uh, 2,600. Uh, that's down just a few points from where the S&P currently trading. Aside from the rally going into the end of September, we've been stuck in this zone all year. And this could be, some people think it's the bottom. My friend Mark Chaikin uh, uh, emailed me right before the show began. He says we've seen the bottom. How about the Dow Jones Industrial Average? Sure enough, there's a similar consolidation pattern going here with a ceiling of 26,000 and a floor from 2350 to 2400. I'm sorry, 23,050 to $24,000. Only a few hundred points below we're now trading. Look, in Marino's eyes, it looks like the Dow and the S&P are both trying to hammer out a bottom. The weekly chart of the Nasdaq, right now he sees the ceiling at 7,500. Okay, Uh, that's the composite. Uh, And a floor at 6,800. The best case here, Marino wants to see what's known as a hammer candle, okay? A hammer candle where, say, the Nasdaq rallies and closes on Friday near its highs for the week. That would send a signal that the bottom will hold and perhaps we could rebound back to the high end of the range. What is a hammer? You know what? If I had a hammer, I'd hammer this. Oh, look at this. Okay. What a staff, huh? It's like that Apple ad. <laughs> no. Um, okay, hammer looks like this. This is a hammer. You see that? You got to go really close. I'm asking Joe. See, that's Joe behind the camera. This is really close. That's a hammer. Okay, this is a hammer. That's a hammer. Hey, if I had a bell. <laughs> All right, Peter, Paul, Mary. Love them. Here you go. Let me show you. You want me to throw the hammer? No, it's probably wrong. Let me just get. All right, well, I'll keep it. I'll put it in my back Brioni pocket for the suit that I bought for 5Gs. What if. Milano, I got a two for one. What if things go wrong and the floor of support that Marino's counting on fails to hold? Okay, take a look at the weekly chart of the Russell 2000, which contains 2,000 small cap stocks. Right now, the Russell 2000 is a floor at around 1450, okay? And a ceiling at 1565, all right? And that's about a 6% range, very tight, 6.6. So if it breaks down below the floor, Marino expects another 6.6% downside, taking us to 1,350. That would be awful. That level would also represent, though, a 50% Fibonacci retracement of the rally from 2016 to 2018. Now, if you believe that Marino's right, that this isn't uh, a bear market 
but just a consolidation phase. Some of those we saw, remember, in the 2010, 2011, 2015. What the heck should you do about it? Well, if you have conviction, you might want to do some buying, seeing that the major averages are all pretty close to the floors of support. And even if these floors are violated, Marino doesn't think we'll have a whole lot more downside. But you need to zoom in further to find a good entry point. So check out the daily chart of the Dow Jones average. Now we're going to a really short term here. Uh, now, ever since we entered the house of pain in October, the Dow's made a series of lower highs and lower lows. That's a very bad sign from a technical perspective. That has me nervous. Marino said, though, that each of the Dow's lower highs was delineated by what's known as an evening star. Now, my executive producer, Regina Gilgan, is none better, right? She wants, this is what an evening star candle pattern looks like. Okay. Uh, I like it. I know. I mean, it sounds like something straight out of astrology, doesn't it? But an evening star pattern is a three-day bearish reversal. Okay. You get a large up day followed by a narrow uh, opening and a, Narrow opening and a, thank you, and closing range candle the next day with an unusually large down day on the third session. And it's pretty classic illustration of what happens. Uh, we're not using this, are we? I mean, we're not doing this show right now, are we? All right. Uh, what's pretty much what happens when it happens when sentiment turns from, but it's not Karnak to Magnificent, from bullish to bears. So you want to watch for that signal, a day where we close up substantially, okay, then a day where we trade in a pretty tight range, and then a big down day, because the last few times it's signaled much lower prices. At the same time, reader notes that the Dow's lows have been marked by a different signal. Back to the hammer, I wish I had a hammer again, back to the hammer candle. Okay, uh, that we mentioned before, where we're down big, okay, but close near the high end of the session's range. That's exactly what happened yesterday. Yesterday. See, it was a key day. Marie. Marina thinks it may be a very bullish signal that at least for the moment the Dow has finished going down and we can get a nice bounce from it. Again, that's something that Mark Chaikin said, you know, the Chaikin money flow. So the, a lot of people are saying that this was really a significant day yesterday, all right? But let me give you the bottom line. The charts as interpreted by Rob Marino suggest that the averages are trying to bottom here in preparation for a nice rebound. This is... This... How did the hammer have hair on it? This, ale, this all sounds a little too sanguine for me, given everything that's going on. But you know what? I think it's heartening to put these declines in a more constructive perspective. And wouldn't it be something if we really did bottom yesterday? You know what we ought to do? We ought to take questions. Let's go to Kevin in Massachusetts. Kevin. Hey, booyah, Jim. First time caller, long time listener. Excellent. Uh, Jim, my question is, I reinvest my dividends, but my holdings are becoming heavily weighted with one stock. I began to take that stock's dividends and use it to purchase other stocks to try to balance out my portfolio. Jim, am I doing the right thing? Yes, Thank absolutely. You. Now, I do like to reinvest because over time, that can be remarkable. You can get a double or triple. But I, look, I want a diversified portfolio. I don't want just one stock. If you can do that to a bunch of stocks, then that's terrific. Now, I'm not a big, I'm not one of those guys who tries to scare you by talking about single stock risk. I'm actually worried about bad stock risk. So if you have a few stocks, I think you're terrific. But I like your plan. I think it's very reasonable. All right, here we go. Our chartist is pretty darn optimistic and certainly a little more optimistic than I am. He sees the average setting themselves up for rebound because he thinks that we've gotten a hammer candle bottom. Well, what can I say? Uh, it's a glass half full if I ever saw one. Much more mad money ahead. 
More than 72,000 Americans died from drug overdoses in 2017. I'm talking to Massimo's CEO to find out how it's working to develop innovative approaches to combat what is clearly an epidemic in this country. Then, is there any reason in the world that the tech sector should bottom other than the hammer candle? I'm taking my, I'm going to give you my take on the plays that actually could be worth eyeing here, because I do think they're bottoming. And oil costs, rapid fire, and tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. the economy has peaked, and I do, then you need to start making some decisions about how to arrange your portfolio as we head into 2019. Because it's not like a slowdown causes all stocks to get hit. There are some names that tend to perform very well in a weaker economy. The nice, consistent, secular growers that tend to make roughly the same amount of money in good and bad times. You want recession-proof stocks here, as I said at the top of the show. And it doesn't get more recession-proof than healthcare. So here's one that's worth circling back to. It's Massimo Corporation. It's a medical device maker that traffics in non-invasive patient monitoring technologies that can be hooked up to anyone who's committed to a hospital for an extended stay. Massimo is exactly the kind of stock that works when the broader market struggles, which is one reason why it's up 30% year-to-date. And that's just the latest move in a name that's nearly quadrupled over the past five years. So can this thing keep climbing? Let's take a closer look with Joe Chiani. He's the founder, chairman, and CEO of Massimo to get a better sense of how his company's doing and where it's headed. Mr. County, welcome back to Man Buddy. Thank you. Have a seat, Joe. First, congratulations on that unbelievable performance. You clearly uh, offer products that are uh, great help to patients that also are valuable to the purveyor, as you say in your conference call. Um, before we get started, uh, I do want to ask you about something that I know is near and dear to a lot of our viewers, which is that you've been invited to the FDA Innovation Challenge, Devices to Prevent and Treat opioid use disorder, which is obviously a raging epidemic in this country. Yeah, we're very proud to be one of eight companies out of over 250 applicants that got invited. Uh, we hope to have a solution for patients at home that are prescribed opioids. Right. And even those with illicit use, they can connect our device before they go to bed, before after they've taken their opioid. And if something's gone wrong, hopefully... Uh, they'll either be revived by our alarms or a loved one or a caregiver or even maybe the nearest uh, police car with Narcan can be called and be dispatched to save that patient's Well, life. this is amazing because otherwise these people could die. Yes. Last year we lost 72,000 people. How many? 72,000 people in the U.S. because of opioid overdose and 20,000 of them were prescribed opioids. One of them was this young guy, 21-year-old in Utah, six-foot-four guy, healthy, goes in for a tonsillectomy, goes home with opioid for his pain. He takes half of it, goes to bed, doesn't wake up. Why do we have these still? It's awful. First of all... Oh, my God, just talking about it. <laughs> yeah, just, <laughs> first of all, I think we unfortunately need to figure out how to get rid of... Uh, so much use of opioids, right. both in treating pain as well as, of course, the illicit use of it. But there are proven technologies that can help people like they do in hospitals. This system we have here, it's called the patient safety net, along with either the tethered or untethered version of our product, has been used in Dartmouth-Hitchcock for now 10 years. They showed that no more dead in bed from opioid overdose, patients on opioids after surgery, and they saved $7 million a year. 
You can save money and save lives. Well, this is terrific. I mean, it does pale by comparison to a lot of other things just because what you're doing is so life-saving. But you've also put up some remarkable numbers simply by offering a much more proprietary, advanced product. Better mousetrap than everybody else, isn't it? It's a wonderful business to be in. The more lives we save, the more eyesight we save, the more uh, revenues goes up, the more profit goes up. Right. It's pretty nice. Well, I mean, I think that a lot of people feel that these companies made how much that they're expensive. But you had 164 million in free cash flow the first nine months, which is really something to be proud of, right? 26 percent of our revenues are going right to our cash flow. And uh, why don't you talk a little bit about your partnership with uh, with PHG because I thought that was significant. Yeah, Philips uh, is a wonderful company. Been in this business for a long time. Fifty percent of the market for the ICU or patient monitoring. Mm-hmm. But for years, we were locked in a patent dispute. We sued them for patent infringement. After successfully winning that, we reached a settlement to not only put the bygones be bygones, and we did get a nice settlement, but more importantly, we entered into a partnership where Philips is integrating our rainbow technology, which is the ability to measure not just oxygen, but hemoglobin, carbon monoxide, methemoglobin, 12 parameters non-invasively into their patient monitors, as well as some of the other nice things we have now, like brain function monitoring. Right. I saw that you so had that. What I thought was really interesting, is, I never thought about this, but you, you say there's great clutter. Yes. There's just, what, you mean normally we would have four different monitors? That's the way it is? You would, you would, but well, on that top would just, of it, The whole place takes up by monitors. Well, looks like you've been healthy. If you ever walk into an OR, an ICU, it is a mess. The patient's in the middle, wires hanging everywhere, right, right. ventilators, infusion pumps, monitors, anesthesia machine, we're trying to get rid of that clutter. Do you have it so that it doesn't beep for people who are really just trying to have a little peace? <laughs> yes. Well, first of all, we invented measure through motion what? pulse oximetry. That means, motion. Yeah, that means our pulse oximetries will work even when the patient's shivering or moving. 80% of the alarms used to be false alarms due to motion. We cut that down by 90%. Why isn't everyone using your stuff? Well, I mean, because it's my proposition, too. <laughs> Nine out of top ten hospitals in the U.S. are using it. We're now not only the clinical leader, but the market leader. But unfortunately, unlike the consumer world where you come up with a better mousetrap, right. within a year or two, people switch. In our industry, it takes 15 to 20 years. Well, that's just outrageous. Kind of. It is. It's, it's hurting people's lives, and right. it's, it's uh, hurting our economy because our technology has not only been able to show that improved life, but reduce costs. I mean, it's incredibly bothersome when I hear that because we keep hearing about runaway healthcare and I read about your stuff. You've been such a success. You made a lot of money for shareholders, but you can save the system a fortune. Absolutely. All right, let's leave it there. That's Joe Keani's chairman, CEO of Massimo. You can see why this is a terrific stock. Thank you so much, Thanks sir. for having Stick me. Stick with Mad It is time! It's time for the light round! Let's wrap through one of the same And then the light round is over. Are you ready? Ski Daddy, time for the light round! Chris, I'm going to start with Tyler in Illinois. Tyler! Hey, Jim, how you doing? Calling I'm you from the top of Breckenridge Ridge right now, out on vacation. My question is quick. Uh, Zillow, up or down? I'm a realtor. Their new strategy with the flex pricing kind of deterring a lot of agents, so I just want to hear what your thought is. I'm not a fan. Uh, I don't like their plan to be able to flip houses. I think they picked the absolute top to be able to do that. I think they got to reconfigure. I think they have to accept the fact that some of the business is slowing and own it. Jesse in Colorado. Jesse. Thanks and happy holidays, Jim Kramer. Same. Your long-term... 
Your long-term take on a company you had on the show. Time to start a position in SSTK. Oh, John Orange. Yeah, look, this is a pure growth stock in a market that suddenly hates pure growth. If you sell a pure growth stock at this particular time, I think you're going to end up regretting it. I want you to hold on. You can sell it higher. Let's go to Taylor in North Carolina. Taylor. Hey, Jim. Taylor from Raleigh. Um, thanks for having me on. I want to get your take on the fintech company Green Sky. This is one you've talked about in the past. They're down 60% since their IPO. Well, remember, I mean, you know, it, it's it's not a fair. Look, our favorites are uh, our, our favorites are PayPal uh, and MasterCard. Those, uh, PayPal's owned by the trust. MasterCard's in the bullpen, uh, as is Visa, by the way. Let's go to Donnie in Illinois. Donnie! Hey, Jim. Wow, what a blessing to be talking to Jim Kramer. I've ah. learned a lot from you in six-plus years I've been watching you. Thank so you, thank Donnie. You. Thank you. Jim, my question is on the stock CY. I have two positions and I'm currently down 15 and 20 percent. Well, well, remember, it's a semiconductor company in a market that is down dramatically. Uh, I have to, you know, look, banks, banks, tech, business with China, these are all in a bear market. Cypress yields 3.3. When it yields 4 percent, I would actually buy some. Let's go to Brett in Florida. Brett. Dr. Kramer, how are you doing today? Okay, how about you? Doing well, thank you. Question uh, about EA at this current level. Is it a I'm buy not going to recommend uh, EA, even though it's down a lot, because we like Take-Two Interactive, which is the only one that has the great refresh of games and that. Ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Is there any reason in the world for tech to bottom sometime soon. Honestly, it's complicated. Tech is not a monolithic sector. I can't in good conscience tell you to buy tech here, but I can tell you to buy some specific parts of tech. Before we go there, you need to understand why this group collapsed in the first place. Because when the market went off a cliff in October, tech turned into a real horror show. For starters, Apple stock plummeted. When we started hearing about order cutbacks after virtually all of its suppliers uh, gave you some heads up that things aren't so good. And there's no denying that Apple iPhone sales are weaker than we thought just two months ago. Then we got a pair of semiconductor disasters, AMD and NVIDIA. Both of these are incredible companies, but both stocks crashed. That's the only way I can describe these gigantic clients. They crashed because of confusion over end-user demand. See, the same chips that AMD and NVIDIA make to power the graphics in video games, very, very popular, are also used to mine cryptocurrencies. These chips were flying off the shelves as cryptocurrency spiked into the stratosphere. But almost no one realized just how much of this demand was coming from the crypto side of things and not the gaming side. There were no good estimates. Then cryptocurrencies went into freefall, and people started returning these graphics processors in droves. The result, a several hundred million dollar inventory bulge that obliterated the stocks of AMD and NVIDIA. At the same time, flash memory reached the tipping point that always seems to occur when tight supply gives way while demand stays steady. It looked like suppliers would exercise some discipline this time. We heard they were going to, but they added new capacity and pricing got slammed. Same thing happened in DRAMs. These are the basic building blocks of all sorts of tech hardware. Think about it as Micron. Think about it as Western Digital. When you put this weakness together, softness in cell phones, plummeting flash and DRAM prices, a massive inventory glut in graphics cards, it's easy to see why the whole cohort rolled over. Everyone figured the tech was toast, that those were just part and parcel with what's wrong. But that simply isn't true. 
Plenty of technology companies are doing great. Cisco reported a fantastic quarter in November, November indicating that network equipment and security are alive and well. Yesterday, we had tech data. This is a supermarket of technology. They delivered outstanding mo- uh, numbers. When we spoke to the CEO, he called out strength in laptops, networking, storage services, cloud, mobility. Yes, tech data has Apple exposure, but it still blew away the estimates, in part thanks to strength in products from Cisco and HP Inc. Meanwhile, at the end of November, HP itself posted strong numbers, 10% revenue growth and robust performance across all regions. Personal systems think PCs were up an astounding 11%. Palo Alto Networks, the leading cybersecurity play, good for combating Chinese espionage, showed strong growth too. Then last week, we heard from Broadcom, and they told a totally bullish story. That stock's been flying. CEO Hock Tan explained, and I quote, Wired results reflect very strong year-over-year growth for our networking and computing off- uh, offload businesses driven by robust demand from the cloud data center markets as well as traditional enterprise. Ah. Boom! That stock's screaming and it's dovetailed perfectly with the one area of tech that simply refused to stay down. That's our self-appointed cloud kings! Salesforce.com reported a pretty perfect number. Workday, ah, big acceleration. Splunk, 40% growth, 50% for subscriptions, almost. And then maybe uh, VMware delivered a classic beat and race. I think that stock's going much higher. In short, tech's complicated. Sure, there are some disasters, unmitigated ones. Like much of the semiconductor complex. But there's a lot that's still working here, and you cannot... Just take them in aggregate. The data center, the cloud, PC, security, autonomous driving. They are all very strong. This is why you pick individual stocks rather than wasting your time with sector-based ETFs because there are plenty of winners out there. Why deal with the losers? You just got to learn to look for them. Stick with Kramer. After the close some weakness from retailers, Dave & Buster's reported finally, wow, a decrease in 1.3% comp store sales. That is not what I was looking for. I thought they'd do better because of the experiential economy. American Eagle also reported weaker numbers, but that's in the mall, so maybe we should expect it. The retailers have been all over the map. You know I like Dollar Tree after they want. I like Dollar General. I like Burlington. And I still think Walmart can do quite well. I don't want to give up on the group, but both these numbers were suboptimal this very evening. Some key bank downgrades tonight. Bank of America downgraded. Wow, that's a cheap stock. I'd like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mid Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day, clearly and concisely in context and with perspective, and tell people what's happening, what it all means. Get the truth, not the spin. The News with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today.